Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, and this is a happy, hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 361 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode, back on Blog Talk Radio. Also, also, welcome to episode number 22 of the Saturn's Day Evening Post. Yay! It's been a long time, and and if I've counted correctly, this is episode 22 of the Saturn's Day Evening Post, and the last one I did was in May. It has been a while. And if you if you're wondering two things, one, where have I been? People ask me that sometimes. And two, why are we on episode 361 of the podcast? It's because I am counting the episodes that I'm posting on Patreon. And that actually answers both questions. That's where I've been. (laughs) I've been posting on Patreon. I post there four times a month. At least sometimes I I just pop in for little bonus content surprises here and there, but at least four times a month I've been posting there the the first four weekends of every month and I started doing that late spring early summer uh, after I was talking here about having a tower moment on purpose and exploding all my business structures on purpose. That was the first piece that got put back into place. I was like, Patreon, I need to put my energy here. I want to make this a really high value exchange for people that join me here. And I'll talk about that another time, but I just wanted you to know that's where I've been. But that's also now like, I have put all those structures in place. I spent several months over on Patreon really digging in to the tiers there and getting a rhythm going. And now I feel like I have a rhythm going there so I can start getting the rhythm going back, you know, everywhere else with the newsletter and the public podcast and even with videos and things like that. I'm feeling very good and in the flowy flow of things. And someone reached out to me on Twitter a few days ago saying like, I want to join you on Patreon, but I can't right now financially burning bay leaves, you know, for the holidays. Maybe somebody will help me out there, (laughs) I think was how she put it. Um, But she was feeling left out. And I was like, no, I don't want anybody to feel left out if they can't join me over on Patreon. So I'll make an extra like a pop up episode this week for those of you who aren't over there with me on Patreon. So that's why Saturn's Day Evening Post and you can all thank Bubbles and Chaos. So I'll just hop right into what Bubbles and Chaos wanted me to talk about. Because after she said that, I was like, oh, I'll just create a pop-up episode. I'll just, I'll just post a new episode for, for you and for anybody else who's feeling the same. What do you want me to talk about? And so this is what she said. She said, for my fellow peeps who are short on cash but rich in character and in the spirit of your witching on the go... Would you talk more about witching on the low, as in low bank balance, 
Um, that, or I would love to hear you expand more on the pop culture pantheon. That is one of my favorite episodes. I will do both, Bubbles and Chaos. And you know what's funny? The pop pantheon episode is a lot of people's favorites. I hear from people a lot and people find it for the first time like now. <laughs> people find these episodes all out of order and it's that's one that people really, really like. I did not go back and listen to what I said, so I have no idea if I'm repeating myself here at all or contradicting myself, which I'm sure I do all the time because for me, Hippie Witch, Kick-Ass Witch, everything I'm doing is an evolution. I definitely am a person who is looking to grow and learn and get beyond limiting beliefs and and to constantly expand my perspective. So I I can't uh, maintain, (laughs) I can't maintain like... Whatever I said, whenever I recorded, when, God, that was a long time ago. I, maybe 2014 is when I did the Pop Pantheon episode. I'm not sure. I, I can't maintain my belief system because I purposely don't maintain it. I'm always looking to grow and expand. So I might contradict myself a little bit, but I'm pretty darn sure that I said Jack White is part of my Pop Pantheon. And the reason that I like a Pop culture pantheon, a pop pantheon, is because I don't work with gods and goddesses. A lot of people, when they first get into Wicca, this is a really popular thing, they they start digging around in, like, what should my pantheon be? Or they get into magic, witchcraft. They want to, like, dip into old religions. They're looking for a pantheon that resonates with them. Some people will go off and be like, ooh, the Egyptian pantheon, and they'll learn about those gods and goddesses. Or, or the Celtic pantheon, or uh, Norse. There, there's just a lot of different pantheons that you can explore. I don't know how much information we have on many of these. A lot of it, I think, we probably are pretty far from what these pantheons meant to people in ancient times. <laughs> We're interpreting them from not only our modern lens, but however many uh, generations of interpretation have gone on since back in the day when everybody was worshiping the same gods and goddesses because they lived in ancient Egypt and that was like their that was their religious structure. I I turned away from Christianity in my teens and and went straight into the New Age movement and personal development first. I think it was personal development and then New Age and lots of Eastern philosophy was very interesting to me, the, the various forms of Buddhism, for example, a little bit of yoga here and there, stuff like that. And then I ultimately ended up landing, not ultimately, Part of my evolution, one of the steps along the way was landing on witchcraft and getting very interested in all of that. But at that point, it was like, I, I'm i not looking to adopt a new god or goddess when I've already rejected this man in the sky. I, I'm not going to be like replacing that with a woman in the sky. So that always, that never in the very beginning, especially when I was like connecting with Wiccans, even though I myself wasn't a, Wic- a Wiccan um, but other witches, that was something that just never clicked with me, that I didn't feel like a part of the community that way. I didn't want to join that discussion because I had nothing to add until I came up with this idea of a pop pantheon, which actually now I see is pretty popular. People have 
prayer candles. They'll have like uh, St. Dolly, like a Dolly Parton prayer candle or David Bowie. (laughs) People are working with pop pantheons. And I'm not saying I invented the idea. I'm just saying it occurred to me on my own, you know, during my own spiritual journey at some point. And Jack White for me is one that like will always come to mind, I think, because he really is. I say he's my rock god, but he's so much more than that. And I think what's happening when you have somebody like that, that your fandom becomes kind of spiritual in nature. I think it's kind of like a totem situation. Like Jack White for me is a totem of a person that has this phenomenal work ethic and takes great, 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 great joy in delighting his fans and gets great joy out of just digging in and getting, you know, getting the work done. And when he's on stage, and if you've ever been to a live Rock Contours, White Stripes, Jack White Solo, uh, The Dead Weather, any time you've been live to see Jack White, you'll know what I'm talking about. He gives, he puts on a performance that will blow your hair back. He's amazing on stage. And that, all of those qualities to me are something that I, I must have within myself. That's what I believe working with the pop pantheon is about. I think God is within us all. We all have a little piece of the divine within. We are each individual expressions of the divine. And somebody for me, you might not feel the same way about Jack White. That's why it's a personal practice. But when I see Jack, I see God shining through this person, like so much creative energy and such a specific individual expression of God, like beaming out through this person that touches me in a very particular way and makes me feel I could do that too. I could be that too. I have that inside. I have that. I, I, I Like something about it is reflecting me back at me. That's what I think a great pop pantheon is all about. And different, you know, different celebrities, historical figures, characters from a book those are the those are the individuals that a pop pantheon is made up of and different people do different things for you right so like oprah would be one for me too she's been a very influential person in my life but oprah gives me a slightly different feeling than jack white does but it's still that reflection of like the god in oprah is the god in me and i'm able to access the the divine from the inspiration and the aspirational feelings that come like whoosh flooding out of me when i'm having a great oprah you know moment when she's like really on and delivering a really powerful speech the way i feel so filled up with possibility Like, I love that feeling. That makes me feel like I'm touching God in some way or I'm accessing God in some way. And what is God? That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Twitter, I posted God is dot, dot, dot on Twitter. Twitter, And then I created, I think this is the first poll I've ever created on Twitter. But you have, just like you do on Facebook, you can create polls over there. So I was just curious what people would say if I if I created a God is poll. 
and you're only allowed four options, which drove me nuts because I wanted to create like six. Well, first it was eight, and then I tried to narrow it down to six, and then I realized they're only going to allow me four options, so I, I, <laughs> I had to let some go. But the four that I chose was love, a woman, creative source energy, or a myth. And uh, 31 people took that poll, and I'll just tell you the results of it because I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting what other people think God is. Um, so 39% of people said God is love. 6%, which I think probably boils down to one person when only 31 people are taking the poll. 6% said God is a woman. 42%, the largest number, said God is creative source energy. And 13% said God is a myth. And then one clever soul said D, all of the above. <laughs> um, or D, would that be E? <laughs> Uh, hold on. I got to rip these socks off. I have big, poofy, super hoogalicious, comfy socks on, but now I'm getting hot because I gesticulate when I talk. <laughs> I talk with my hands. Uh, anyway, I thought that was fascinating. So keep in mind, like having a pop pantheon is probably going to be for someone who's an atheist or someone who believes that God is creative source energy or maybe someone who believes that God is, you know, this mysterious force that flows through all things, but that personifying that energy is empowering in some way because it allows you to access the energy within. It's for that kind of person. It's it's for us overthinkers. It's for people that that don't have a belief in personified deity per se. Maybe you do have a belief in personified deity and you want to explore a pop pantheon because you think it's fun. I don't know. But for me, um, I've just always gravitated toward these figures in pop culture that just, I think a lot, most people do. We have like our special specials, our special favorites. <laughs> and people who know you really well, like they think of you when that person comes on TV or somebody mentions it in a book or something. Uh, I think it's human nature maybe to have these idols. I also, I'm not going to get off onto this side tangent, but I easily could about how it's important to recognize that these individuals, if you're talking about a human and not a fictional character, although I totally think fictional characters make awesome, you know, would-be gods and goddesses for your pop pantheon. But if you're talking about a real person, these people are flawed human individuals. They will make mistakes. They will have character flaws that that are not godly, so to speak. <laughs> and that so this requires a certain level of spiritual maturity. And to not, you know, something happens, especially let's say just like with the call-out culture that we're in right now, where people get elevated and put up on these pedestals, and then, you know, the mob comes to knock them off the pedestal, or they, you know, are outed as having done some horrible thing. Uh, there's this argument is like, do you throw out the art when you find out that this person was a horrible person? I don't. I don't. That's a personal choice, but I enjoy movies and paintings and works of beautiful art that came from very flawed humans 
many, 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 many of my artistic heroes, I would say, were kind of fucked up people. They, they weren't. Some of them weren't nice. Uh, I can think of a couple of examples that I think were abusive to their kids to varying degrees. There are people that have been accused of sexual assault. And I think this goes throughout time, partly because a lot of artistic people um, live on the fringes of society, particularly in the past. And so there's a certain rebellious nature that lends itself to drugs and, you know, heck, if I'm already going to be an outcast, I'll just be a full-on outcast. I think there are mental health issues that often go along with being extremely creative, especially in a society that does not honor creativity as a valid way of life. Um, but then even bigger than that is is like literally people are people. People are human, and you're going to find that kind of debauchery, that kind of cruelty, that kind of insensitivity, the mistakes people made in any industry, <laughs> teachers, preachers, and priests, and CEOs. And it's not fair to lump artists into this special category, or liberals, or Republicans, or, you know, Catholic priests, or whatever it is. I think dig, scratch a little, and you'll find humans are very, very flawed everywhere you go. There was just a story in the news about, I feel like it was a, was it Tibetan, a Tibetan monk, maybe, of some kind, a monk of some kind. He's supposed to be this super pious, pious, pure individual. (laughs) And and he was caught on tape having gay sex orgies and doing drugs. And out of the context of supposing having to live like this monk life, you know, nowadays it's not that shocking. Like people are gay. Hooray. People have orgies. Hooray. People do drugs. But when he's expected to live up to this thing that he's pretending to be, by the way, and he gets outed on camera, is that an indictment of the entire religion, the entire spiritual practice, or is that just one human being human? (laughs) Um, I've been thinking a lot about that too. This is what happens on the Saturn's Day Evening Post. For those of you who don't know, this is just a ramble. I have one point and then it just starts bleeding into so many others. We were originally supposed to be talking about pop pantheons and now I'm talking about throwing an entire religion out with the bathwater because one person took a poop in it <laughs> or or art or culture of some kind. Um, I tiptoe chick. Dolores Chapman, also known as Dee, passed away right before Halloween, and a lot of beautiful tributes have come out on YouTube since. And one really surprised me. It was a Christian man who was sad that she passed away, and I think he was 90% respectful. He did try to throw in some little tidbits here and there about like, if you'd like to learn more about Jesus or the Bible, because clearly you're going to hell if you're a witch, um, you can do that here. But otherwise, it was all very respectful. <laughs> and what what I noticed was he he sounded genuinely surprised and moved by how loving the witchy community was and is. Like, that surprised him because he's a Christian. And (laughs) 
I, I, this is something that I go back and forth with when I see witches online getting into like these witch wars and, or just doing something really, ugh. Like, I feel like you are giving witches a bad name. You're making us all look bad when you start acting like that in the name of being a witch. Like, ugh, I don't like that. But also, like, witches are human and Christians are human. And that's something that Christians have that, um, you know, you're supposed to walk your talk and be an example for the Lord. And I guess that old training that I grew up on grew up in extends to me, like if I'm going to call myself a witch, I'm not going to go online and do something to bring shame onto my community. But also there's another part of me that's like, but why? I'm a human and that's just foolish because of course there are going to be people that are at different stages in their spiritual journey and there's going to be people that make mistakes. I'm definitely going to be one of them at some point if I haven't been already, you know, making a fool out of myself on the internet (laughs) or out in public. Uh, I can't uphold this perfect witchy standard, but there's a little piece of me that wants to. But we just had Thanksgiving here in America, and I was with my family, and they were talking about a couple different things that kind of tie into this. One was my nephew's soccer coach. He he got a partial scholarship, I think, or full scholarship, but some kind of scholarship to a Christian college to play soccer. And he's a soccer badass, and he's going to this Christian college, but his coach is a jerk. He's a bully. He's abusive. He's using abusive language and being very mean um, and really aggressively so, specifically to my nephew and I think the rest of the team. I'm not sure how that's working out, but my brother-in-law looked at me and said, like, and, and this guy's a Christian, Like, that made it all the more shocking that a Christian could be abusive. (laughs) And I said something kind of snide. I was like, well, that doesn't surprise me, which was not nice of me to say. But I did say it because, I mean, hello. (laughs) Christians do not nice things all the time, people, because, again, what? They're human. And then another thing that happened was around the dinner table and It's just very odd for me going home for the holidays anyway because people get extra religious around the holidays and I am the one person who is not a Christian and who does not believe these things that everybody else believes. And I'm, you know, keep in mind too, my family is divorced, so I'm going to like multiple houses, but they keep marrying more Christians. And so there's all these, you know... (laughs) The Christian circle keeps expanding, and I'm I'm more and more and more alone in my not Christianness, and I just have to kind of bite my tongue and listen to them speak about the reality of things as though it were a fact from their point of view. And this happens over and over and over again at the holidays because the holidays really just bring out re- religious stuff. And this there was one moment when we're eating Thanksgiving and. Someone brought up this missionary guy that just got killed because he decided to go into stealth mode against the rules. No organization made him do it. He wanted to go. I'm not going to get too specific because I don't I don't know the news story exactly as it happened. But the guy, it was like the last protected tribe or one of the last protected tribes on the entire planet that they're being protected. So... 
modern culture doesn't taint their society, their culture, because we've lost our culture all around the world because basically white Christians have gone into every nook and cranny of the planet to Christianize it and to Westernize it. And, you know, we think these savages, they need Jesus. And so this guy thought that he was going to bring, it, it didn't matter what the organization was telling him, like, this is not safe. This is not okay to do. Do not go try to, you know, preach the word of God to these natives. They're protective and they, they will they will kill you <laughs> because they don't even know. I think we look like aliens to them. They're... They've been protected from TV and telephones and all modern conveniences. They're practically naked and running around with spears. They're not like us. And But he decided that he thought that the Lord, that God told him to go and proselytize to these natives. So he did, I think he had a, a team of people that he talked into doing this with him. And sure enough, the natives killed him dead. And in the context that it was told to me is like, isn't it such a shame that this man was trying to share the word of God with these godless people? And um, this is, see how it all ties back in. <laughs> God is such a personal thing, and I believe God is for everyone. I also do not believe God is a man in the sky, and I do not believe that the Bible has a monopoly on what God is. I think God is something, some sense of infinity and this creative mystery that we all have within us and that we can all feel. And that those, that culture that has been protected so far, as much as you can protect a culture like that from this westernization of the entire globe, like I'm sure they have their own version of God. And it is spiritual abuse to go into another culture and to teach them the word of God, your word, some man-made book that you have decided or you have been taught through many different generations of teachings that this is the word of God, this is the only word of God, and everyone is burning in hell if they do not accept this truth. So we must save them all. It's so fascinating to me that... I don't know, to be in a room full of people that everybody believes that but yourself is wild because I just want to stand up and be like, God is for everyone. God is for everyone. And God is a it. God is not a man. God is not a woman. You are God. I am God. God is in all things. But hello, I would be speared. I would be, <laughs> I would be stoned out of the room because that does not match their perspective. So again... I give you my full blessings to create your own pop pantheon, but there are some that would think that that was very ungodly. So it really depends on what your personal belief is of God, bubbles and chaos. And then to answer your first question. Yeah, yeah, I'm still talking to you. This ramble is for you. <laughs> she said, I'll repeat, for my fellow peeps who are short on cash but rich in character. And in the spirit of your witching on the go, would you talk more about witching on the low, as in a low bank balance? I totally will. Uh, this deserves its own episode, actually. So maybe I'll just take a mental note of that. Because I would strongly 
encourage you to work on your mindset and beliefs about money, particularly your subconscious beliefs about money. And that would require some very fancy psycho-spiritual footwork, some shadow work maybe, just some personal self-observation to notice, like, why did I just do that weird thing or say that weird thing? What is the belief underneath that? To start maybe a journal where you start keeping track of, like, things that you do financially that you think are against your own best interest or beliefs that you hold financially or judgments you have on other people and all of that is free that's why I say that and also because I'm a mind witch because I that's the kind of magic that I'm interested in because I believe when you change your beliefs your reality changes to match that uh having said that I will totally answer your question fairly like things that you can do witching on the low I'm a big fan of books and Library cards are totally free. They're, and I'm, I'm sure I have recommended so many books, it's overwhelming. But there are a couple that I think are awesome to start with if you're looking to witch on a budget. And that would be The Inner Temple of Witchcraft by Christopher Penzak, which is the first book in a big series that he did. But I love The Inner Temple of Witchcraft because it's about mind magic. It's got the hermetic principles in it. It it teaches you how to meditate and develop a a foundation, a practice for any kind of magic that you're going to do from that point on. But it's such a great foundational book, and I think everything... If I'm remembering correctly, everything in it is completely free because you are the magical tool. You don't need to go out and buy anything. So maybe you could get that book at the library. I'm a big fan of buying books on eBay um, used. If you get them on Amazon used, there's usually a $3.99 shipping fee, which can be awesome if you get the book for like a penny. Always look for um, if you're not a smoker or if you're sensitive to smell look and see if they have a note that this comes from a non-smoking home because I've gotten a couple of books in the past that were unbearable to me. I had to get rid of them because they reeked of like old cigarette smoke. Like, and there was nothing I could do to get rid of it. I tried burning incense. I tried airing it outside. (laughs) So if you're going to buy a book for like a penny on Amazon, see if there's a note that says it's from a non-smoker's home or if you buy it on eBay or you can just write the seller. Um, But you can get books for like four-ish bucks on Amazon when you count in the shipping four to five. And then on eBay, sometimes you can get books for crazy free shipping. I don't even know how the people make a profit or how it's worth it to them to do it. But I've gotten a lot of great books that way. The other book I would recommend is Earth Power by Scott Cunningham. Um, If you're into Wicca or you're into doing magic spells, I think it's such a, a sweet little book. It's pretty slim and I love it because it's based on nature and because the spells are pretty simple and and don't involve like a bunch of like correspondence lists of things you have to buy. They're things you can 
pull together pretty quickly and perform a, a magic spell. But having said that, outside of books, outside of other spells, people write just... The whole thing about magic is magic is for the people, folk magic. Like, I think magic has endured over the centuries because it really is for the people. It's not for the wealthy. It's not for, there's no hierarchy. There's no uh, privilege involved because it's really about working with nature. And you can go sit under a tree and say a prayer, or you can create a ritual using rocks and and fallen twigs and found bones and feathers and wind and rain and all of those things are free and that's the joy in it that's the joy in it it's working it's in working with me in nature and i think too going back to god like i think if you want to experience god if you want to have a really deep spiritual practice like nature is the key connect with nature and that is free we are surrounded by it and fyi going back to the inner temple of witchcraft you are nature <laughs> which is why i can say pretty confidently god is in you and you are in god and working with nature is about working with your own mind, your subconscious, your body, your breath, and going out into a park, a forest, a beach, swimming in a lake. That stuff is all like super duper available to everyone. Magic is completely democratic. Democratic with a little d. It's for everyone. It's for us all. And um, I have a book that I do not read every day. It's a daily devotional, but I busted it out. I bust it out during the holidays sometimes. Um, if I'm just looking for a little spiritual book, it's called Living Earth Devotional by Clea. I don't know how to say her last name, Danon. It confuses me because there's two A's in that non part, D-A-N-A-A-N. Clea Danon, Living Earth. And uh, for those of you, you know, I was talking about spending time with my family <laughs> during the holidays. I love my family. Please don't get it twisted. I love them. I see them all the time. I, I, my son usually stays a weekend with one of my family members at least once a month. And every single holiday and birthday we spend together. I love my family. I'm obsessed with my family. I love, love, love them. It, but the God stuff is <laughs> a huge test. It's a huge disconnect, and it's a testimony to how much we love each other that, that they think I'm going to hell, or I don't even know what they think. They haven't verbalized that, but according to their religion, I'm going to hell. And I think that they're all nuts in terms of believing that, you know, the Word of God is this Bible and judging other people for going to hell for not believing what they believe. Despite all of that, we love each other, but I'm saying that because for those of you who just got home from dealing with your family and it brought up all those old crappy shadow issues, that's what families are great for. They, they touch your shadows. They show you those programs of belief that were put in place when you were very, very young. They show you the roles that you play in relationships. Nobody can push your buttons like a family member. So if you just got back from Thanksgiving and you're like, oh... Why is my family so screwed up? Or you're like, now I have to go back for Christmas and do it all over again. Um, I thought this passage might be helpful 
for you because today's page, November 24th in Living Earth, addresses that in a really fresh way with a, a ritual that I think is really cool that I wanted to share with you all. I would also highly recommend renting and watching Jodie Foster's book, a book, a movie, Home for the Holidays, starring Holly Hunter. I love it. I've seen it so many times, but it's hilarious, and it's just about the dysfunction of family. And there's actually a line in there about, like, Thanksgiving and how they put Christmas, like, you know, right after and how, you know, because every, everybody drives everybody crazy. And, I, and that's just part of being in a family, right? And this is an awesome, like, way to address the shadows of that, I think. So I'm going to read it to you for anybody who's interested in that. November 24th in, from Living Earth. Here we go. In winter, we seek out our home, looking for shelter just as animals are in their dens and roots are tucked beneath the earth. For some, this is a time of homecoming, warmth, and connection. For many, though, this is a frustrating and stressful time of year when the ideal of family clashes with reality. Letting go of what once was or never was and never will be is an important part of growing up. It's far from easy, however, especially since our culture doesn't really know how to grow up. Many teen rituals of risk and altered states are actually culturally unsupported attempts to grow up by differentiating from their families and entering the transforming darkness. Design a ritual of release from your youth, a gateway through which you will step into your soul's purpose. No matter your chronological age, your chronological age, you probably cling to ego aspects of home. Ritual can be a powerful tool for letting go and moving forward. This might include giving away items and clothes from your past. Ritually destroying symbols of your adolescent or young adult personality, grieving and taking vows to dedicate your next stage of life to mystery, soul discovery, and the underworld journey. This ritual will, will carry into the days and months ahead, depending on how ready you are to move forward. Give yourself time and trust the path. I think that is very cool and something I think a lot about. You know, I'm a, a big shadow worker. Uh, and it is so true that we don't honor these rites of passages that cultures before us, the cultures we think we're better than, the cultures before us had a, a container for that. These rites of passages that we don't honor anymore. So a lot of us have this kind of arrested development around our teen years and we still have a lot of work to do around that. I've noticed this myself. Something happened in my 30s where I got very childish. Like I was super into dolls. I was into Blythe doll and wearing like really childish colors. I was doing it in what I thought was like a very ironic, cool, punk rock kind of way. And I don't know what that was about, or I didn't at the time, but looking back, like I did hit a point where I was like, why do I have all these little plastic toys and things and stuff? I'm in my 30s, and I think it was me like processing unprocessed 
childhood stuff and like owning all the things I loved about it and being free in that kind of like, I love Blythe dolls. I love the pink and orange and yellow and all the plasticky stuff and really getting to explore it like as an adult before I could let it go. I think that was that was me creating this strange uh, rite of passage through fashion and aesthetic and art. And it's interesting. I see other women in their 30s doing this too. So maybe that's a thing. <laughs> it could totally be a thing. And then let's see what I have something I want to share with you guys that somebody emailed me that I thought you might think was cool, especially those of you that did the winter transition module of the psycho spiritual wheel of the year. We talk about having a funeral ceremony for the past, which is again, another one of these rite of passages that witchy people create for themselves. This is something somebody wrote to me about literal death. So I will give you a little um, trigger alert. If you've had a recent death in your family and you're feeling very, very sensitive about it, or you just don't like to talk about anything having to do with death, this is literally talking about dying and what do we do with our bodies after we die. So I just wanted to let you know that before I went into this in case you're feeling very raw or sensitive about this issue right now. But Stephanie D, Stephanie D, I'll just read the email she sent um, because that's the easiest way to say it. She said, I've been listening to your podcast for well over a year and I'm currently doing You Are a Queen for the second time. I am ready to embrace her now. Yay, Queen Stephanie. (laughs) So I know you have a death positive mindset. I am a hospice nurse and all about death positivity and death planning. My colleague hosts a monthly death knit group. You had an interview with someone who does death cafes slash dinners. Yes, that's my friend Marla. Anyway, I was just at a hospice conference and we learned about these new mushroom shrouds as a coffin alternative for a more eco-friendly burial, as well as the spiritual side of going back to Mother Earth. I am in no way affiliated with this product, just truly thought you would be interested due to your love of these fungi. And I do. I love the mushrooms. You can always send me anything mushroom related and I will love it. Um, So here she put under the facts, there's a quick overview of the mushroom spore science behind it. So I, I clicked on their website and cut and pasted a little thing so I could tell you about it. But the name of the company is Coeo. Did I not... That's how you pronounce it. I wrote, (laughs) that's so funny. Let me see if I can pull this up while I'm on air here. Because I wrote how to pronounce it, but then I didn't write the actual spelling of their company to be able to, oh, this is annoying. Hold on. I'm just, I don't want to edit this. This is, that's the beauty of the Saturn's Day Evening Post is I don't edit them. I just sit there and I ramble. So right now I'm going to ramble while I look up Stephanie's email so I can tell you how to spell this company. Oh, I have a message from my my friend Anna, who I haven't heard from in a long time, in a, in a minute. I'm, in, I'm excited to get back to that. Okay, Stephanie. Oh, Mushroom Burial. Here we go. So the name of the company is C-O-E-I-O. So you can go to http 
semicolon slash slash coeio.com. C-O-E-I-O.com. That's why I had to write down how to pronounce it because I can't do it otherwise. Um, so Coeo is how you pronounce it. Coeo, the infinity burial suit. This brought up a lot of feelings for me. I personally, I got this idea many years ago that I love, and it was to start something called a love grove. I just thought it'd be so great to have a piece of property where we could, I mean, you could choose to bury, be buried or you could choose to be, what I was thinking, be cremated and then be mixed in with soil in which we would plant a tree and we could create a grove of trees and ultimately like a little park, which family members could be added to over time. So you could go and sit you know, under the trees and commune with your family. Maybe there'd be a park bench with a little memorial something rather on it. and Or you could just sit on the ground and lean against the tree that was your grandma. I just love the idea of that. And it's something I've been married to for a really long time. Once I had the thought, I was like, yes, that is what I want to do. And I've since seen companies that do, they do similar, they've created products based on a similar idea. Of, of making a loved one into a tree. I really love the idea of it. But something about reading about the infinity burial suit, suit from Goeo was like, oh, it's just very confrontational because it makes you think about putting your loved one in the ground. I Man, that is one of the hardest things to think about when I really actually go there. But this is what they say of the infinity burial suit, which is made of mushrooms. So it cleanses the body and soil of toxins that would otherwise seep into the environment. It delivers nutrients from the body to surrounding plant roots efficiently. And it restarts life around the body faster than normal. On top of leaving the environment better off, Infinity Burial products are made of all-natural, biodegradable material. They use no harsh chemicals, preservatives, or processing, and they reunite the body with the earth and the ongoing cycle of life. So I love that. I think that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that with me, Queen Stephanie. And I was excited to share that with you all because I know this is a death-positive group. This is something that we think about and we talk about. And so, and because I'm such a mushroom person, I actually, too, uh, changing the subject a little bit, you know, I'm obsessed with Four Sigmatic. I, they did send me a link to join their affiliate program because I have sold a lot of mushroom coffee for this company just in posting on Instagram and talking about it on the podcast. I'll get messages from people like, oh, I'm hooked on the mushroom coffee now. And... The main guy that, that one of the main guys, I think there was like a little group of them, but two in particular that started for Sigma, he came out with a book on Santa Claus and how Santa ties into mushrooms. And, you know, this whole idea, I've talked about it here on the show before, that Santa was a shaman and the mushrooms. Oh, oh I'm going to have to do another episode on that because it's really fascinating. I haven't read his book, but he has a brand new book out. And I asked if he would come on the show to talk about it. And they basically ignored me because their company is humongous. And I guess they don't know who little old me hippie witch is. I was very sad that I got ignored 
for this particular interview request because I would love to have him on the show to talk about mushrooms and to talk about this book about how Santa and mushrooms and shamans all tie in together. But essentially, I'll just tell you the Cliff Notes version as I know it. Santa was a shaman, and his reindeer, the um, <laughs> reindeer would eat Amanita muscaria mushrooms, also known as fly agaric, which will get you so high you think you think you're dying. Very, very intense, potent. I have a giant one that I'm too afraid to do anything with, so it's just been slowly deteriorating in the in the plastic. But something in me gets my jollies off knowing that I have a real amanita in my house because <laughs> I am a mushroom freak. I think they're incredible amazing creatures. But anyway, they noticed the reindeers were eating the Amanita mushrooms and getting very, very high. They were flying, flying reindeer, get it? They'd be like bucking, leaping through the air and acting very, very high. So ultimately the shaman from the village went and and had the Amanita and it was their sacred and theogetic experience that they would, you know, then share with with the tribe and the way it would work is the the main shaman would eat the amanita and get high as f and then somebody would drink his pee and get high as f <laughs> and then someone would drink that person's pee and get a little less high as f but still kind of high and they would do it like down like seven generations of drinking each other's pee until it was clear of the mushroom and nobody was getting high. I always, when I hear that story, feel sorry for the guy that drank the pee and didn't get high at all. <laughs> I was like, great. I just drank your piss and nothing happened. <laughs> um, but supposedly that's how this, the mythology of Santa came to be because they would dry the Amanita mushrooms on, on the leaves of the evergreens. And they look like little ornaments. And um, there was a whole thing about accessing the house through the chimney. And it's just a fun, interesting look up Santa was a shaman on YouTube. And I bet an old Daniel Vitalis video will come up, which will be a fun introduction to this whole concept. But speaking of mushrooms, speaking of Christmas coming, speaking of dying, <laughs> that is the Saturn's Day Evening Post. Um, I'll be back talking at you really, really soon because I've been getting back into the swing of things. If you haven't noticed, I hope you are having an awesome holiday season and until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.